Hello and welcome to the Living in Jesus podcast. My name is Ross O'Hare and I will be your host today. Living in Jesus is a podcast designed to explore the depths of what it means to live a grace-filled life with Jesus as the focus. This podcast is part two of our question and answer episode. I will continue my discussion with Jamie, Ben, and Mark as we continue to answer the questions from sessions six through 10. With that said, I hope you enjoy today's podcast and here we go. All right, let's move on. Now we're going to go to uh, session six, Consequences of the Fall. All right, so Mark, we got a couple questions submitted here. The first one says, how can you tell if you are separated from God? Uh, Okay, first I would say this question is for a person who has never received Christ as life and entered into a a relationship with God, Mm -hmm. with Jesus. Because that person can never be separated, which we'll talk about in the next question. So for the person who is, is outside of God's life and outside of his family and kingdom, um, this could have many answers, many diverse ways. I'm not sure there's an exact theological answer. Hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll use my own experience. When I was 18 and I'd been brought up under the teaching and preaching and even had memorized Bible verses in Sunday school and, and pretended to be a Christian, I knew I wasn't. Hmm. But the emptiness and achiness that just became so aware to me, hmm. um, I was telling you earlier, I think, and, and you were talking about goals earlier too, when what brought me to know that there's more to life than this this life here is I kept achieving my goals and they were each one less and less satisfying. Mm, yeah. And then in relationships, I just kept finding emptiness in those. Mm. And so I can't say for sure where that came from. Was God whispering into me, look how empty you are. Mm. You know, look how lost you are. Look how outside of me you are. Mm. What really spoke to me, though, was not the um, depravity of myself, although I did some pretty depraved things in college, <laughs> sure. and not the um, the sin that I was going to be judged for, and I was going to hell. I just needed to know meaning and purpose in. So I would start to answer this question by, there's a growing awareness in you, awoken by the Holy Spirit, because John does say that he convicts the world of sin and yeah. such, and so the Holy Spirit can be speaking to each person out there, mm. and that will make them aware of the disconnect between their behaviors and God's love and life, or the the vacuum and the emptiness of what they were made for all along. Great, yeah. And I think, too, if the person is asking, am I separated from God, then they're obviously concerned. <laughs> True. A non-believer isn't going to be concerned with that That's question. Right. Yeah. So the fact that they're asking that question means that either God is trying to convict them <laughs> of sin and or trying to convince them of the fact that he has taken them and they have become one mm. in spirit. So yeah, one that's way a good it, sign if they're asking yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think, uh, well, just the terms that we use for describing ourselves as unbelievers or the Bible describes us as unbelievers is lost and blind. And mm-hmm. I mean, that makes it difficult for us to see what's really going on and whether we're connected. But if there's light coming in, I think Mark hit it right on the head that it's got to be coming from God. And he... The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Mm. So when we hear the word of God, it's the like the lights are turning on. Then we realize mm. that separation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, another thing is just ask God. If an unbeliever is interested in this question and listens to this podcast, say, God, am I yours or not? Am yeah. I outside of your will? He'll answer. I have a friend in Pakistan. We've heard other, other stories of people in closed countries, especially the Muslim world these days. It starts with a sincerity and cry of the heart. 
Mm. that I don't know the creator and what I'm here for. And God will use whatever means, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, a broadcast on the radio, a dream, uh, a friend, and he'll find him. Yeah. And, and you know, that verse that says, I'm standing at the door knocking, like mm. he is pursuing mm. all of the lost. And so that knocking is kind of that awareness and that awakening. Hey, I'm, I'm separated. I'm between this door and God. And like you said, Mark, all it takes is, am I separated from you? Well, if, if I am, all I got to do is open the door to my mm. life. And it, and it changes that separation for eternity. Okay. Uh, the other one is on session six, consequence of the fall. Another question submitted said, because Adam and Eve's identity changed as a result of the fall, doesn't that mean we can lose our salvation too? Okay. This question is kind of bridges session six and session nine, the great exchange. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to yeah. cover, I think, both <laughs> sessions here. Yeah. But Adam and Eve had the Holy Spirit, the breath of life, the breath of God was in them. But he wasn't sealed. It wasn't a permanent relationship and arrangement at that mm. point. By God's wisdom, by God's plan and design, he left the door open so that he would leave if Adam and Eve chose mm. the other tree, as you know. And so that happened to them, and they were separated in that sense. And I'm not going to go down this trail too far, but I believe I'll see Adam and Eve in heaven because mm. God pursued them, redeemed them through his ways and means, and they responded to his love and his life. Mm. But in that moment, as we describe the consequences, yes, when God's life leaves, there's death. So the absence of God is death. But the, the beauty of a New Testament believer and what happened on the day of Pentecost for the first time in history, and this is what makes us, I hate to say it, not a superior, but a, a, a new creation that ha- we have what Adam and Eve didn't because mm-hmm. we have the Holy Spirit sealed, yeah. and he'll never leave us, and he can't leave us because it's based on what God did, and it's based on how he's changed our nature. And so he's moved in, and he's made us a new creation. And so by that reason and all the verses we could go into that say he'll never leave us or forsake us, and the Holy Spirit is sealed within us, the New Testament believer cannot lose their salvation. Yeah. I think some of the confusion here can come in because maybe we have an inaccurate view of what salvation is. You know, Mark's talking about that, this life and this Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes the the salvation gets preached as like a ticket to heaven. It's mm-hmm. something that we get, and we may or may not have it on this earth. Sometimes we have it, sometimes we don't, and then we'll know when we die whether or not we've been saved. Mm-hmm. You know, but the Bible talks about salvation being receiving the life of God. Yeah. Definitely forgiveness of sins and going to heaven is a part of it, but the salvation... The Bible says we're saved by Christ's life, mm. him coming to live in us by the person of the Holy Spirit. So then you have to say, you know, what what defines salvation? A person is saved by the life. Do they have the Holy Spirit? Okay, well, then are they ever going to lose the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the issue becomes critical about will the Holy Spirit leave us? And that answer is no. Scripture says the Spirit won't leave us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so I think we need an accurate view of what salvation means. We're saved from our sins, Mm -hmm. but we're also saved from death. And Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And once he's given it to us, he's not going to pull himself back from us. We're forever joined to him because he's taking care of the the barrier of separation there. And I think, too, part of the confusion comes in thinking of Especially teaching how I was raised with, well, if you sin, then you're out. You better mm-hmm. come rededicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got that rededication <laughs> yeah. dunk. You know, I didn't get the dunk, but I got the rededication, you know, I'll call. Yep. And so it was more about 
am I sinning? And that is separating me from God. Yeah. Well, God took care of that problem when he made us new creations. When he made us God's children, our natures changed. It's no longer about an individual sin, which it never really was about, because by nature we were children of wrath. Now, by nature, we are children of God. And so when I ring the dinner bell, my children come in. <laughs> and I believe that that is what we can look to rather than worrying, oh, I had a bad day. I really blew it. I sinned. Oop, I guess I'm separated by that. Mm. No, I am his child. And he has done what it has taken to cement that relationship and seal it as both Mark and Ben have said, so that it doesn't depend on my individual sin. It doesn't depend on my feeling of whether I did well today because I'm never going to feel like I've done enough. Mm -hmm. But I can know my nature has been changed. Yeah. He is not going to reject what he has created, that new creation. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think the new covenant also plays into this because the new covenant is God promising to God that he's going to save us completely, as Hebrews says. And so it's not based on, like you said, our individual sins. It's not based on us at all, not based on our performance, anything like that. Once we make that choice to be saved, it's up to God's trustworthiness or you know, his ability to keep promises with himself, and of course he will. So there's no chance that God's going to lie or, or you know, take back his promise of always being with us. He's promised to himself that he will always be with us. So. Yeah, that's first. Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, where Paul says, may he keep you blameless, body, soul, and spirit. In the very next sentence, I love it. It said, he is faithful and he will do it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs>
And as your mind more tunes into what the spirit wants and what who you are, then the more um, what's the word? Not able, willing, or quickly, you'll go toward the spirit, and the less you'll go to the flesh hmm. toolbox. And the more you'll believe the truth, you'll go to God's life, and the less you believe the lie, you'll go to the flesh. Hmm. It's like the highway when I first became a Christian to the spirit was a goat trail. And it yeah. had been barely traveled once or twice by me going back and forth. And the way to the flesh was downtown connector on I-8575. I mean, there's eight lanes on each side. Yeah. But in my lifetime now, that pathway to the flesh has become a goat trail and that highway to heaven. <laughs> anyway, the highway to the spirit has been so wide open. That's just because of the renewing of the mind and learning to believe the truth. Yeah. That's what that, I would program. Yeah, that's the way I think of it. I think of it in physical terms because the Bible says in Romans 7 that the problem with sin is in the body, not the spirit. We want to do the right thing, but because of being raised up in our own ways of getting our needs met, we develop these physical synapses in the brain. Mm-hmm with the brain cells and the dendrites and the axions, and they become thicker, more highways in our head. They're a physical aspect of us. So I don't think that we will necessarily totally ever, ever deprogram from all flesh. We might get rid of more than others, Uh, Mm. but we're going to eject from this earth suit, as Bill Gillen used to say. But in the meantime, it is that renewing of the mind that will lessen, actually lessen those physical synapses Mm -hmm. in that brain that God is going to use so that we more naturally follow this new inclination uh, rather than go down that ditch in the brain that Mm -hmm. was created beforehand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, you can't fight flesh with flesh. I think that's what Mark was saying. And I mean, the motivation is is good. I mean, we don't, none of us want to experience pain. We want to experience harmony in our relationships. We understand once we start understanding this idea of the fleshly desires and what they're leading to in our life and the pattern patterns that we've got in of trying to meet our own needs, we start, we start seeing that none of us are wanting to embrace those. In fact, we want to get those out of there because they're causing us pain and that's what our new nature doesn't want. But you can't fight it by trying to deprogram it. It just doesn't work. You have to Paul says in Galatians, walk by the Spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. So if we put our energy into that, you're not deprogramming the flesh. You're just walking by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But the flesh gets deprogrammed that way. And that's how we're conformed to the image of his Son, mm-hmm. I think. When we walk by the Spirit, that means hear his voice, submit our will to his will, and walk in that loving relationship with him. And your brain will get reprogrammed that way. And mine will too. I have a follow-up question for that then. Is it, because the question says, can we ever deprogram the flesh? You know, I have the idea in my mind that, yes, there's still a choice we have to make on our end, so we do play a role. But isn't it the Spirit's job to convince us and to show us and to remind us and to teach us what it looks like to walk by the by the Spirit and not in the flesh. No, I think it's interesting how we find different parts of a f- question and that jumps out of this. Because mm-hmm. I was drawn to the flesh and deprogram. Yours was to we, which mm-hmm. is a great way to look at it. 
and that, no, we don't do any of that, of course. Mm -hmm. But like Ben had said in an earlier question, it does require our cooperation, Mm -hmm. our reception of what he's going to do. And as Jamie said, as I do choose to set my mind on things above, and those synapses are new highways, a supernatural thing, and they've shown this in studies, Mm -hmm. has an even greater rewiring effect than if a person just said, well, I'm going to stop thinking about um, pornography and I'm going to start thinking about um, Hallmark Channel Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So it's uh, God working along with our setting our mind on it. Well, it does take our surrender. Mm. That's where we come into play. We surrender to the process and knowing Mm -hmm. beforehand that this is what God is doing. We're like the patient with the doctor. He takes us and puts us in front of the x-ray machine and says, oh, yeah, there it is. Well, I can't heal that. I can't cut that out. He's going to have to be the one. I've got to rely on the great physician to do the work on me, but I can be a willing patient Mm. and I can surrender to it. And I see it as a backing up process when God, uh, my problem was anger growing up. And I would, uh, if you cut in front of me in in the grocery line, you know, well, now that I know God is wanting to work on that flesh pattern and that I'm supposed to love instead of protect myself, Mm. then the moment I see that, that might be after I've already blown it and I've gone home, or the next time it might be halfway through when someone's done that, Mm. or the next time might be right before I'm about to do it. It's because those synapses are weakening each Mm. time I hear from the Spirit, and it's not necessarily a one and done. (laughs) He is constantly working on those things. That's a great point. You know, it's interesting to me how the Bible pictures the, the new believer, it's it's like a, a baby. And mm. so the baby doesn't immediately act like an adult, a full-grown adult yet. Everything is there. You yeah. just need the nutrition and the, you know, the rest and, and all the things that goes into that growth. And, you know, when he described the kingdom of God coming, it was like a seed. And it's the same idea. Mm. It's something that is there. It's implanted and it's growing. And that's part of that transformation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one more question I have on this, and just to clarify, because we're looking at the development of the flesh. I've heard a lot of people say my flesh as opposed to the flesh. And so just as a point of clarification, how should we describe it? Is it my flesh? Is it me? Or is it the flesh, something that is not me? Yeah, I think the way we, we describe it is the programmed flesh. That's something we talk about here at Christian Families Today, programmed flesh. And that's the resources that I have that is unique to me that I can use to try to meet my own needs. Maybe I'm not like Jamie. Maybe, you know, I have something that she doesn't have that I can use. So in that sense, it's a, there's individual resources that we do have and we do get in our own habit patterns, maybe similar to other people. I may have a problem with anger just like Jamie did, you know, and that's, I dump my anger as a result of operating in the flesh, trying to control things to make it go my way. So it can be overlap, but there is a distinctness to the, the program flesh, I think a uniqueness. But as a whole, we all have those physical desires and physical resources. So in that sense, it's the flesh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, we quibble a lot over one semantics <laughs> in that here, and it yeah. can be important, but it depends on what's implied when you say my flesh. Mm. I do need to take ownership for my actions and be responsible for them. And I developed this uniquely through my lifetime, and it resides in my brain. And so in that sense, it, it's mine resident here. But it's not mine as far as who I am. 
Mm. And I don't choose to possess it. I don't possess it. Mm-hmm. But I would only use my to say that that's my pattern. That's what I've learned. Yeah. Those, those are lies that are unique to me. And the flesh is just a general description of everyone's. That's why I would say my, but you have to really qualify that too. Mm, yeah, good. Awesome. All right, let's keep moving. Session eight, uh, God's solution and our response. Uh, Mark, back to you again. Let's see the question submitted here is, is guilt from God or the enemy? Well, to keep this from being a three-hour discussion, and it still may not succeed, there's a couple of ways to slice this. We're talking about an unbeliever or a believer, and there's two, well, basically two types of guilt. There may be more. There's being guilty and there's feeling guilty. Now, the being guilty is a judiciary condition. And all the world has been deemed guilty before God because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and for the wages of sin is death. And so as he is our judge and we as the ones who have um, violated what he has required, then yes, he has declared and he's told the world, you are guilty in the judiciary way. And so that has been sent out to the world, and that's what they can evaluate their own life and their ability to ever attain his life from. Um, But taking judiciary out of the way, and even uh, an an unbeliever, let's talk about in the sense of a a believer, Mm. and when they feel this pain, this sorrow, or whatever, when they're going through it. Uh, Again, the word guilt, I don't think, would ever be used in in any context when you're talking about a believer's journey in discovering their their sin, Mm -hmm. their behaviors, and the disconnect between that and who they are. Because guilt, of course, implies condemnation and all that. And we know, as Ben said, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation. Mm. So there's nothing to be even discussed about who it comes from. Well, there is, too, because that comes from the enemy, mm, yeah. the feeling of guilt. Look at you. You know, how can you call yourself a Christian? And we've talked about this before. Even the process of temptation, before I've entertained it and before I've refused it, Satan will make me feel guilty because I even allowed it to come mm-hmm. in, and I, yeah. I even dwelled on it for 20 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. And so Satan uses guilt in a non-believer's life. I'm not sure he wants to use it in an unbeliever's I mean, in a believer's life, I'm sorry. I'm not sure Satan wants to use guilt in an unbeliever's life. He wants him to just stay there and yeah, just leave yeah. that alone. Yeah, it's good. And now that whole phenomena of what am I experiencing as a Christian when I know, though, I know that my behavior is not matching my identity, and there's a disconnect there, and there's a pain, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm miserable within, yep. you know, seconds. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I can make that last three days if I want to sometimes <laughs> in my stubbornness. But, but where does that come from? And we can open that up now. Is the Holy Spirit, we will say here the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you because you can't find that in the Bible in the New Testament that he convicts a believer of their sin. But he convinces us. But does he do that directly or through a conscience? Has he set up an unknowingness in our life? Because Paul talks about conscience a lot. Of I'm aware of when my attitudes and my behavior aren't lining up with who I am. And I have lost the connection with life and God. Mm-hmm. And now I'm working on an empty vacuum, empty tank, so to speak. And I become aware of that. And again, I don't know if theologically I can prove where that comes from. But it's the establishment of our new nature. And the Spirit's present in us. So I'll open the floor up on that one. Well, I see I see them being, I see the Spirit and the conscience as being two different things here because I believe we got a conscience the day that Adam and Eve chose from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what a conscience is, is that knowledge of good and evil. But it doesn't necessarily, Paul talks about a good conscience and a bad 
conscience. So I see them separately in that way. We could certainly have our conscience align with the spirit, and that would be a good thing. But I don't think we need to Jiminy Cricket it and only use our conscience no. to be our guide. Mm-hmm. I think it's to be the spirit because we... It's based off the could, spirit, yes, whatever that absolutely. mechanism is. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I also, I know the word says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says we have a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. <laughs> and uh, thank you. And uh, we have that godly sorrow that can lead to repentance. And I think that's what Christians feel. I think God has removed the guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's on Christ, and he has taken it. So I agree um, that that is not, God doesn't convict, because convict is to find guilty. Mm. And so we can't be found guilty of that sin now. That's on Christ, but we can be convinced of who we are in Christ and, and living out of that. So when our emotions, if we look at them, what we're feeling is really godly sorrow. It, I am so sorry, Father, that I did that uh, is different from, oh, I'm a lowly, rotten sinner, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so there's a... There's a difference that if we will continue to look at who we are in him and know that and believe that, we're going to less and less be troubled by Satan's accusations. And that's, he's the accuser. So he's always going to attack, but we can live out of the truth of who we are. In the believer's battle, we talk about our emotions. And so that kind of enters into this conversation when you start talking about feeling because when most people think about guilt, they think about feelings of guilt, I think. Mm. And so in order to get a feeling of guilt, there has to be some information in our mind. There has to be some kind of thoughts and beliefs, like Jamie was pointing out, that connection there. Guilt is, is the feel. you know, if it's a feeling of guilt, it's, it's based on this idea that I've done something wrong or something that I shouldn't have done. And so why do we have that? You know, Paul talks about trying not to do anything that's against his conscience. You know, he doesn't want to do anything that he knowingly knows is wrong. And so there's a check there. The, the spirit, I think, is, is working with our spirit. We're, we're one. And so there's going to be a resonance. When we're going in the same direction, there's going to be a resonance. There's going to be a dissonance, I think, when we're not. But then the question becomes, and this is kind of what gets to the heart of this question, whether it's from God or from the enemy, is what do we do when we... When we know we've done something wrong and we f- have those feelings of guilt, what do we do then? Mm-hmm. You know, and Satan is always going to le- lead us to destruction. The feeling of being guilty is a it's a heavy mm. it's a heavy emotion. We can't live with that heavy emotion for a long period of time. It'll bring us down. So something has to happen with that, and that's where understanding our identity, our acceptance, is not based on our performance, helps with that. And also this understanding that I've been cleansed of all unrighteousness. Everything I've done has been forgiven. And there is that godly sorrow. And and that's a good thing because it leads us to to not want to go down that same path again. But it's not, it doesn't leave us with this heavy burden that we're walking around feeling like, man, I've just really screwed up. And uh, that heaviness that that is not going to, we're not going to be experiencing joy and peace. The one thing I'll say, I think, you know, when we talk about which one's more effective? You know, if someone were to do something wrong, is it more effective to point out where they've gone wrong or to remind them that that's not who they are, right? Like, I think that the Holy Spirit wants to build us up 
and remind us that that's not who you are, right? And to me, you know, one of the coin flip side of this could be like, well, if I don't feel guilt, well, I'm just going to sin all the time. Like, if I don't need to feel guilty about it because Jesus took it, then I don't need to feel guilty about it and I can keep doing it. But the reality is that when we feel that feeling after we sin, I think the best way to cope with it is that the Spirit reminds us, hey, that's not what you want. That's not who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's an encouragement, right? It, It brings hope again to me, as opposed to when I do something wrong and I feel that guilt that comes from the enemy, I don't feel hopeful. I feel like, oh, I'm such a screw up. I'm going to do it again. All those negative things. But when the Spirit comes through and you and you're listening to Him in that moment, says that's not who you are. That's mm-hmm. not what you want to do. And now I have hope that you you know what you're right. I don't I don't actually want to do that. And so now it's like moving forward. I actually actually lessen that in my life as opposed to focusing on the guilt that comes from the enemy. Mm. And what you're doing right there is confession. You're agreeing with God. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. What I did wasn't right, but I'm also agreeing with who you say I am. Mm -hmm. And therein comes repentance, the metanoia, the mind change Mm. that can come with that, that now, hey, we're on a better track with God there. We're on a better route. Well, it's what (laughs) repentance, the word repentance comes from that word, mind change. (laughs) Sorry. No, no, you're good. It was great. I was just kidding. All right, on to session nine, the great exchange. Ben, this one's for you. I'll let you answer it. The question submitted says, if I'm a new creation, then why do I still look and act like the old man sometimes? I'm assuming that look there is behavior. Yeah. I don't know how what the old man looks like unless <laughs> you're expressing it because yeah. it's an internal condition. But, you know, another way to phrase this is why do I still sin? If, if I'm this great new creation that's in Christ, why do I still sin? And yeah. I think you have to look at a couple different factors. One is... God doesn't erase our old ways of thinking and habit patterns. That's a process that takes time. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to crave this pure spiritual milk of the word Hmm. and buy it, grow up. And so that's a process, and and it's not bad. God wants us to go through that process. He could have done it another way. He could have given us a memory wipe and a habit reformatting right at the moment of salvation, but he wants us to go through. So there's that that has to be dealt with. You know, there's kind of an inertia in the sense of this is the way I've always done it. And and then that brings up the next part of the reason is because there's still a tempter out there. Mm. God didn't remove Satan from the earth. He's still a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. He wants to come, and God didn't allow Satan for our destruction to continue to tempt us. No, it's he's wanting to establish us in truth. Mm, yeah. So he teaches us things, and then we get go through these testings, and, and the tempter comes, and and we can stand in truth because we've given we've been given an out for every temptation. Scripture says so we can stand in that. But there is a tempter, and it's not for our destruction, but it's for our good. It's for our growth. And then the third part is. You know, we still have this physical body and desires of the flesh, the law of sin in our members is still pulling us. Mm. There's still something about this body that when it gets tired, it wants to look in sick. It wants to look out for number one, Mm. you know, and that pulls against the spirit, which is our new nature wants to, you know, to love and to serve. Mm. And so those are the, the main reasons, I think, right there. And that's not a bad thing. I think we we look forward to the day when we're not struggling a sin. The struggle with sin will be done when we get our new bodies, but and Satan is removed from the equation, and we look forward to that. But we also have to admit 
God allowed this process that yeah. we're going through. He purposed it. He wants us to be like that newborn baby and grow up into him. And the mm. process is what he's doing in our life as we walk in relationship with him. Mm. There's um, an illustration in the Old Testament about that, of the continued warfare in, in Judges. Well, Joshua mm. and in Judges, first two or three chapters where it says, and there were Canaanites and Perizzites and all these other mosquito bites that were still <laughs> in the land. And he said he left them there so that they would learn warfare. Mm. And a key point of warfare is victory. And God told them, if you want victory and, and, and triumphing, look to me. Mm. And so he was teaching them dependency. He was teaching him the struggle as a nation. Now, a lot of people like to use that illustration of two natures. See, mm. there was Israel and there was the non-Israelites. And mm. so you got two of those in your body, but that's not the point there at all. Mm. Um, they were outside of the nation, mm-hmm. so even though they lived next door. Yep. And so it's the, the struggle, I don't want to say in the humanists, but the emotion, the, the expansion of our soul, the grief, the str- the, all the angst, the angst of it that brings us to a greater experiencing of him and dependency on him and enjoyment of our relationship just by having that adversity there. Mm. Awesome. All right. And uh, let's go on to session 10. Last one here, uh, a new identity. Jamie, this question was submitted. It says, God promises and says a lot about us as his children, but I don't always feel like that. Is it still true? Well, I think we've pretty much covered how much (laughs) feelings count (laughs) in this session. So I don't want to discount it because feelings are important. Uh, God gave us feelings. He Mm. gave us emotions. But when I think of emotions and the way I describe it to clients is that it's like those railroad arms that come down when you're about to cross the track and be hit by the train. Mm. The emotions are there just to make us aware of what's going on with us. They aren't really truth. They're just there to signal something is going on. So if you want to look at, I don't feel like I'm God's child, What is going on? Mm. Look into what is holding that back. Am I being accused by Satan of something? We just talked about that. We don't have to go there. Am I believing, as the word believe means, pastillo, to rely on? Am I relying on truth rather than my feelings? Because you cannot go through the word without seeing the love of God. The whole book Mm. is a love story. And so uh, one of my favorite verses is, I believe it's from, yeah, it's from uh, 1 John. Uh, He starts chapter 3 with, how great is this love the Father has lavished. Mm -hmm. I love that word, lavished. Women love to be lavished, okay? (laughs) So coming from that aspect, I love that he lavishes us. And it says, as his children. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are the very words. We are the children of God. And it just calls on us setting aside that emotional confusion to really anchor ourselves in what the word is saying. And when I taught Romans 5 and 6, I was using a Bob Warren, and he had about 32 different verses about what happened to us Mm. during uh, justification or when we were justified. And they were all so immensely 
anchoring hmm. uh, in that way. I'm a new creation. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm not condemned. I'm sealed. I'm holy. I'm blameless. I'm raised with Christ. I'm forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. I'm justified. I'm sanctified. I'm perfected. I'm a member of his body. I'm a saint. Just on and on and on. Hmm. If you look to the word to be your standard and not your feelings, mm-hmm. you're going to align with truth. That's part of that synaptical mm. loosening of that old belief system mm. and believing what is true of you. And we know when we say belief drives behavior, mm-hmm. okay? The more I believe it, the more I am going to act like it. And the more I act like it, I'm going to believe yeah. that it's true. Well, it's, it's just so interesting. We know the truth, and we have a list of identity statements, and it's in the Bible and all that. And you can know what's true so much, but in certain situations, feelings overwhelm, many situations because of our humanness. And that really depends on where you put your focal point because belief does drive behavior, and mm-hmm. feelings will indicate which that belief, where that belief is. And is that focal point, is it based on God or is it attached to something of this world, my mm-hmm. wife's face uh, of disapproval, or this in situation out here, or my, my bank book mm-hmm. and all that? A quick story about how that focal point can really change your sense of reality. I was at a gas station once, and you know how there's about five or six lined up row to row, and I was in my car waiting for my pump to finish. And for some reason, I watched the next car before me, and he started just to move out forward. Well, I thought I was going backwards because I thought he was he was fixed and I was moving out. Yeah. And I was pushing the brake and nothing was changing because they're still going forward and my blood pressure went up. And I, and I thought the nozzle was going to rip out of my car because my focal point for that moment was just fixed on him being the one who was still and I was the one moving. And so as we fix our eyes on him and as we just say, God, remind me of who I am, then let his peace come in and overtake that reality. Jamie, I like your illustration of the railroad arms. I, another <laughs> illustration that I use sometimes is the dashboard in your car, you know, and I know just a few weeks ago my hose blew in my truck and that that, that temperature gauge went through the roof and I, and it was like, here's something that I got to deal with, you know. It alerted me to the fact, you know, even before the car, the engine shut down that there's a problem here. And I, and I think that's beautiful that God gives us those you know, emotions, but we do, we do need to know what emotions are for and what they're not good for. And they're not good for telling us what's true. They may or may (laughs) not align up with that, but they are great to indicate that something is inside us is going on and we need to pay attention to that. And, and that's the same with being child of God. The, the foundation comes, the stable foundation comes from knowing truth, Mm. believing truth, and sometimes the emotions just don't line up with that. And it does, as Mark said, it comes from what we're focusing on. Yeah. I think having emotions is actually God's way, one of the best ways he gives us an opportunity to act out of faith. Because our emotions are screaming at us something, and the truth is something else. And in that moment, we actually get the opportunity which we don't every moment, I mean, we, I guess we do every moment of every day, but in a very stark reality, we get, a, we get a chance of choosing faith and truth over the way we feel, which is, we've talked about a bunch, we'll rewire our brain and do all those different things, but it's just one of those moments where we are faced with a very stark choice that when we choose faith and to trust the truth, it is, it's revolutionary for us. It changes us inside in our minds, and it changes us with the way we think, uh, increases the foundation that we have in Christ. I mean, it does so many things for us. 
And we don't often look at our emotions that way. We, th- we think of them as a battle, especially when they're negative. Mm-hmm. But they really can be such a positive thing when we see them as an opportunity to choose against them in that situation and choose the truth to live by that. When you were saying that, uh, as a great illustration, I mean, a great point there. When you were saying that, it made me think of the illustration of Jesus in the boat with his disciples. And he's asleep, <laughs> and they're panicked, you know, thinking About the, the storm, fear yeah. is through the roof, you know. And when they woke him up, it was their thoughts that, that we're going to die and Jesus doesn't care about us. Yeah. Those are the things that were causing that panic, and he spoke right to their faith, you know. Yep. And, and I it think is, he speaks it is, to us, that, faith, that same message. It does. That's a great point, Ross, because it's a time to say, which is greater, God's truth, or my emotions, mm-hmm. which is greater. Yep. That is a step of faith. Yep, for I, sure. I grew up as an engineer avoiding emotions. I didn't trust them. I didn't trust emotionally driven people and such. <laughs> and so I avoided them. But I've learned that they are God's invitation to intimacy. Mm. Yeah. Either way. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you so much for um, answering these questions and being willing to do this. So thank you so much. And for listeners, we're going to hop back in. We're going to start up with Session 11, Episode 11 next week. And we hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we will look at how to have a deeper relationship with God. This will cover the difficult topics of hearing from God and how to have a more intimate relationship with Him. The Living in Jesus podcast is a production of Christian Families Today and is produced and edited by Ross O'Hare and Ben Brezina. Christian Families Today is a nonprofit discipleship counseling, coaching, and training ministry focused on equipping men, women, and children how to build biblically healthy lives and families. You can visit our website at cftministry.org to find this podcast, information about the Living in Jesus study, and other free content. If you were encouraged by this podcast, it would mean a lot to us if you would take a minute and leave us a review. This podcast and all of our free content is made available to you because of the generosity of people from all around the world, people just like you. God bless and see you next week.